And it might be something really challenging and really hard, but I'm telling you, I wish that I had known this before because I don't think life would have gotten as crazy if I had simplified before all my trips to Africa and all my involvement in um, the world of adoption. But you can't go back. But what I can do is share that with younger moms and try to encourage them because you don't know what the future holds and it might be really, really cool. I'm Tina. I'm a wife and stay-at-home mom of three boys. Life is full of crazy, and I want to share it with you. I really want to do this podcast, but like you, I don't always have time to sit down and record. So we're going to fold laundry, bake, do all the things together while we talk. I'm glad you're here to walk through life with me. I've been able to talk to some really great people on the podcast, and today is no different. I'm excited to talk to Michelle Trebold. Michelle is an example to us that God can give our hearts the capacity for things greater than we thought possible. Michelle, thank you so much for joining me. Before we start, can you tell us a little bit about you and your family? Sure. So, my husband and I have three sons and three daughters. Our first two are in their upper 20s, and the middle two are young adults still living at home. And the youngest two who joined our family through adoption from Liberia, West Africa, are now just hitting their teens. Now, when we were talking on the phone, you told me a little bit about the journey to Liberia that brought your two youngest into your home. I would love for you to share that if you wouldn't mind. The journey that brought me to Liberia is actually one of my favorite stories to share. And it sounds a little dramatic, but but there's the, the truth is my life changed with a single phone call. It was in the fall of 2010, and a friend of mine called to tell me about a group of women that went to her church that were on their way to go on a mission trip to Liberia, and um, they were in need of some donations. And so I agreed to send some with them, and the woman that lived closest to us stopped by. And I'll never forget that conversation. And it's funny, I spoke to her not long ago, and she doesn't recall the conversation, but it was such a life changer for me that I remember it vividly. We were standing by my front door, and she was telling me about um, her part in the trip. She runs a program for children with special needs who'd been abandoned, and she um, raises sponsorships for them and provides foster care and training for the foster parents so they can still be in a family situation. And my interest was obviously apparent because she said, you should go to Liberia with me sometime. And I I might've even laughed. I said, you know, I don't travel. I followed up with something to the effect of, I really have nothing to offer. And that's the thing that I think most want your listeners to hear today, that don't, don't assume that you have nothing to offer until you know what it is that someone else needs. And she obviously knew that already because she started asking questions and it came out that um, I had a passion for photography and was currently taking classes at a local tech school. And she said, that's what I need. I need someone to come with me and take pictures of the kids and then help make some promotional materials to help raise sponsors for them. And so a few months later, shortly after my 40th birthday, I was on a plane for the second time. And this time I was on my way to Africa and Africa had never 
ever even been on my radar. Traveling there was not on any bucket list of mine, but there I was, camera in hand, stepping off into this unknown place. And that's really the moment when life changed for me. That is such an amazing story. Ah. Now, I know you've been back to Liberia several times. So how did God transform your mindset from, I don't have anything to offer, to where you are today in your ministry? He had a lot more planned than I was aware of. And it's probably a really good thing because (laughs) my trip was um, very overwhelming. It was beautiful and it was scary. The best part, of course, was being around the kids, taking their their photos, spending time with them. That was absolutely the highlight. But as far as being in a foreign country, I was not a huge fan. (laughs) It wasn't like love at first sight for me. And so I kind of figured that that would be my first and only trip and that I and I came home and and made the brochures and and things to help them find more sponsors for the kids. But a few months later, I got a call and an organization had a child from Liberia that was due to come here for eye surgery and the host family had had to um, back out at the last minute and they asked if my husband and I, knowing that I had been there, would be interested in in hosting him and it was only to be for a few weeks. And so we said yes and I had some people in my life that were very, very generous and donated money for me to go. They thought it would be best for him to get to know me on that side before coming and you know, entering our home here. And so I was able to go for a second time and then he came back, had his surgery. He was with us, what was supposed to be for a few weeks, was extended to quite a long stay. And during that time, our family learned that we can truly love a child that was not born into our family just as much as one that was. So we decided to start the adoption process, not for him. He was just here on a medical visa and needed to go back, but for another child from the program that I had visited on my first trip. So in in that program was a little girl named Favor. And Favor had cerebral palsy, but there was something in her eyes. She You could tell she understood what was going on. She just wasn't able to communicate back. But there was just something about little Favor that, that drew me to her. And so we were discussing adoption as a family and thought that we would we would start the process as soon as we got all our ducks in a row. And sadly, very, very suddenly, Favor contracted what they assumed to be cerebral malaria, and she passed away. It was really hard to just know that a life could be taken that quickly over something that isn't even a thing here. And we decided that we couldn't wait until all of our ducks were in a row. We would never be ready, so to speak. And so we decided to start the adoption process and chose a little girl that they called Hope. And interestingly, I had met Hope on my first trip. There was um, a pastor that was going out to a remote village, and he was bringing back a child that had been approved to enter the program. But when he got to the village, there was another little girl who had come to stay with her grandmother. Her father had passed away. Her mother couldn't care for her, brought her to the paternal grandmother, and her needs were too significant and they had stopped feeding her. And so she was in really, really rough shape. And so he brought her back into the program, even though that wasn't what the intention was for that for that day. And I was there when she came in. I held all the other children in this program. And there was various, you know, various degrees of special needs, but she was in such rough shape that it actually scared me. And so she was the one child that I didn't even hold. 
it was actually a little more than a year later when we decided to start the adoption process. And that's the child then after Favor passed that we chose to pursue adoption with. So I just, I think it's interesting looking back on it. First of all, the fact that I was in country when she came in is pretty incredible. So I really knew her story from that very beginning as far as her involvement with with the program and what that did for her and, and how that improved her health and, and really saved her life. I got to be a part of that whole story, but I hadn't held her. So there, was, there wasn't the same connection that there might have been had I already done that because the adoption process is long and it's scary, especially after one of the kids that you have gotten to know passes away so quickly. It's fun to look back and see how God kind of intervened in all of that. So I knew her and yet wasn't, um, didn't have the attachment that I might have had I really bonded with her because I had no idea, no idea at all on those first two trips that I would be later adopting any child, let alone this one. So that's kind of the start of our adoption journey. And then the child that was with us, he needed to to go back. His visa was expiring and he needed to go back. So I brought him back to Liberia on the trip that I was supposed to bring this, this child that on her paperwork was called Hope back here to the States. And honestly, that third trip was the hardest that I have, have been on even to this day because I was trying to acclimate him back into a country that he was young. He just turned five at that point when I brought him back. And so he had forgotten a lot and he couldn't understand people. And that put him into tears, which was heartbreaking. So I was trying to acclimate him back in. So he was with me during the the three weeks that I ended up being there. And during that time, I was denied the visa for hope. And I left without either child. And yeah, that was a long flight home. And I did a lot of crying. Um, because you have to, it's not a, it's not a culture that crying is considered um, super acceptable. So I held it together until I got on the plane and pretty much lost it for the next hour after that. But it, in the, you know, looking back, there was lessons to be learned in that as well. But anyway, so we came back without either child. And then four months later, I was able to go back, complete her adoption and bring her home. And it was a blessing in disguise then because I got to see him and he wasn't doing as well as we had hoped, but, um, it was still such a blessing to be able to spend, you know, more time with him. He came again and stay with me at, at the place that I was, but there was another moment um, that I want to share on that trip where I was bringing him back and thought I was bringing her home. I remember sitting in my hotel room and I was concerned about my kids that I'd left back at home. And I had him with me and I was working on her adoption and it hit me that for what I knew at that moment, I would always, always have a child on a different continent than where I was. So whether I was there visiting him or here with my, with my biological children, there would always be kids that weren't with me that I would be worried about. And, and I really felt like God spoke to me at that moment and said, be where you are. Because I think so much of the time, especially as moms, we worry about everything that we are not able to control at that moment. And that was really a big, hard lesson for me to learn to let go and trust him with the people and the situations that I was not um, able to be present with and to really be where I was. So that kind of got the ball rolling for a, a 
greater level of faith in that area. Not that it's something I've mastered, but it's certainly something that I'm working on and something that I try to encourage, you know, with other moms. That is such a good reminder to know that God is in control, even when we don't understand why we're hurting so badly. So how long was the process from when you left Liberia without hope before you came back? The very beginning of May 2013, we brought her home. And I realized when I went back for the adoption, nobody called her Hope. It was just her name on the paperwork. So when we got home, we gave her the the option of Hope, the name that she was called in the foster home, the name that we later learned she had been given at birth, and the name Briley. And every time we got to Briley, she just lit up with a big smile. And so that is her name. Briley Hope is is what we now call her and it, it fits her. A couple of years later, adoption became an option for the boy that had been with us that first year. And so he's part of our family as well. So that's our, our two adopted kids. And um, after bringing Briley home, I started volunteering to help other families through the adoption process, ultimately, you know, working for the agency that, that we had used for our adoption and um, ended up traveling about every six months for several years. So I've made about 17 trips to Africa now. Wow. It's, it's crazy to hear you talk about how you had to like release the idea that you need to control children on two different continents. And then God was like, okay, just hang on, let me take care of it. And then he put them all on the same one for you. I love that. Right. Yeah. And the fact that they were on different continents, honestly, that's the reason I was willing to go back on behalf of the, of the agency, because he was still there. Had he been here right from the beginning, I would have had very little desire to continue to travel. It wasn't, it wasn't within my comfort zone at all. But the more I went back and, and eventually, you know, then eventually he was here. But by that time, I had built a relationship with the the children in our program and the people there. And so I was, you know, I was willing to travel and to put myself in, in hard places sometimes for the sake of those kids. So at that point, then he was here and part of our family. So, but it's still that, that trust that God taught me through that experience I needed because those kids also became my responsibility to a certain extent because I um, became director of the program and oversaw the running of the transition home where the kids lived and the caregivers and, and um, all of that. Wow. Did you ever see that coming? No, (laughs) No, I was, I was quote unquote, just a homeschooling mom. I did not see that coming at all, but God can take you to places that you would never even dream possible. If you're, if you're willing, if you're open. We were watching, you know, the Charleston Heston Ten Commandments, like old, old. Well, they they used to they used I don't know if they still do it, but they used to play it every like Easter weekend on TV. So we would watch all like three and a half hours of it all together as a family. And so I I found it at the library, and I had our eight year old watching it with me, and and so we got to the the scene, the part with the burning bush. And I paused it and I, and I opened up Exodus and I started reading through and it, and it just gets me every time I read through 
my first thought is, Moses, would you stop making excuses? You're talking to God for crying out loud. Like, he knows what he's doing. And then all of a sudden, you know, then every time it strikes me that, Oh, I do the same thing. I I tend to throw my hands up, you know, like I think I think we might need to go a different direction or, you know, whatever, but and oh my goodness, God was so patient with him. And he just he just kept going and he is so patient with us too, you know, he just well, no, you're you're going to do this, but um are you sure? And and he's just so gentle in in telling us that no, you you just need to hang on and and see. I I've, I've got it handled. And well, it's it's true and I think we're we're so quick to judge these characters in the Bible that we're like, "No, let's let's bargain this. Let's see if we can come up with something that is a little bit of a better plan." Or we sit in church and we we sing, "What's that that song Oceans Take Me Deeper Than My Feet Could Ever Wander?" It's not until you are in the waves and and your feet are not touching the ground and you've got nothing but faith to hold on to that you realize we need to be careful about what we are singing and what we're asking for and really make sure that our hearts are ready because he could take us deeper than our feet could ever wander and be careful who we're criticizing because man, even if it's coming from a burning bush, if what he's asking you to do is super, super scary, you find yourself arguing and trying to bargain your way into a better plan. I, I do the same thing with, with reading anything about the Apostle Peter. You're like, okay, Peter, if you would keep your mouth shut for once, it might be good for you. And then I realize, oh, yeah, you know, that's me. I think that's what's so beautiful about the Bible. I know as from going from a, a child and, you know, the Sunday school understanding of things to then through the teenage, the college, and now as a parent, reading through the Bible, you know, it's it's easy to stop and think like, wow, all these people are failures. The Bible is so full of sinners. Like, how, you know, and sometimes I wonder, like, do I need to censor more stuff while reading to the boys? But it just shows us our humanity and God's patience and how he continues to work with us in our humanity and... I've needed a lot of those reminders lately, that's for sure. Well, I find such encouragement that he uses such broken people and people that have screwed up so badly. And yet those are the people that he's used. I don't know. I think that's so encouraging that it's not, none of it is in our power. You know, it's not, it's, we're not chosen based on our merit and what we can accomplish. It's, it's truly what he can do through us and even, even our biggest mistakes don't disqualify us from doing something for God. And I'm so glad they don't. I'd be even more lost if God's help was dependent on my ability. I I just can't get over how much he loves us. Okay, so I, I got sidetracked a little bit, but that's okay. S- such great reminders. So you came from, as as you call it, just a homeschool mom, to directing an entire program. Can you tell me how your involvement in that ministry for so many years has played into what you're doing now? By the end of 2018, I left the adoption world and started my own little business where I partner with artisans that I've met over the years who make beautiful handmade products, but they don't have the market 
in Liberia to be able to sell enough to be sustainable. So I partner with them and I bring their products back here. I buy them right away so that they have their money for everything that they've made and earned. And then I bring those products back. I sell them on a website um, as well as at different craft events and, and art fairs throughout our area. So that's my current ministry. It's called the Mango Tree Boutique. All the profits from the sales go back to purchase more product from those artisans. I was just looking at some of those things on the website with Josh. They are so gorgeous. I've already pointed out the ones I want him to get for me. Okay, for the listeners, you can find it all at mangotreeboutique.com, but I'll also make sure to put that link in the show notes. You'll want to check it out. Now, you said before that the pandemic has made things a bit more complicated with the boutique. So what else are you doing during this, I guess, pause? Well, the the pause has actually been um, fun, (laughs) not from the aspect of the pandemic, but the extra time at home and really focusing on our home has made changes that I'm so excited about that I really want to share with other moms. I wish it hadn't taken me um, 29 years of motherhood to get to this point. But I I started uh, at the beginning of last year, before I even knew there was a pandemic, I, I made a, a big, gigantic goal of decluttering my entire house in 2020. And I accomplished that goal partly because I started a Facebook group, Prioritizing Home, and uh, started a little Facebook page, Instagram page for um, accountability for myself, but then to also help encourage other women that were on that same track, because I cannot believe the difference it's made in our family just in making our home a higher priority. So here we are a year later. I did accomplish that goal, and we are having so much fun in this group. We just finished a 21 Days to Reclaim Your Kitchen Challenge. We have different challenges most months for tackling another area of your home or a project that you've been trying to work on. It's set up so that people can, when they have the extra time and want to jump in with the projects that we have going at that, you know, during that week, they're welcome to. Um, When it's a busy season, you know, some people are still watching, but not necessarily participating. Or when they have their own projects that maybe aren't falling in line with, with a theme, but it's a great place to get an add a girl for something that you've accomplished that you might not get (laughs) otherwise, because we all need a little encouragement and um, it's, it's hard to find these days. It really is hard. Sometimes you do something that took a lot of effort and thought and no one else seems to see it. I think it's great that you've created a place for that. So tell me a little more about what led you down this path of prioritizing your home? What inspired you to start sharing your path with other moms? Um, The thing that I found with our home is that the more I simplify, the calmer it becomes. We we have a probably average size home. It's, It's a home that was actually designed for four people. And we currently have six people living here. And so it's not that we have necessarily an an excess of stuff from American standards, but for the space that we have, it was a lot of stuff. And so I had been trying my entire adult life to get organized. And I thought, what is wrong with me that I cannot ever get organized? I thought I was pretty good at decluttering because I had a routine 
box that we would put, you know, things that the kids had outgrown or things that we no longer used. It was, it was a, a constant thing in my home to have that box that then I would drop off at Goodwill or, or someplace when it was full. But what I didn't realize is everything that was being put in that box for the most part was being replaced by something else. So it really wasn't lessening the amount of stuff in our home. And I knew, especially from traveling to a third world country, I was very aware that we have so much more than, than what people have and people live with in other places. But it's hard to wrap your mind around that when you're back here in this land of plenty and so it, even that, even the traveling every six months to a place where people live with only the necessities, it wasn't enough. It wasn't until, well, actually it was when the pandemic hit that that I really had the time because everything canceled to take a look around and kind of take inventory, for lack of a better term, of what do we really use? What do I really have the space for? And when I significantly simplified or minimized, I guess. I think minimalism gets a, gets a bad rap in our, in our um, society from some people because they think of stark white walls and nothing comfy or cozy in a room. But really it's about letting go of anything that doesn't support the life that you are wanting to live right now. So it's letting go of the things, the crafts and the, the things that you used to do or the hobbies that you used to have letting those go and letting someone else that is currently into those things make use of them and really focusing on on the life you have right now and the life that you want to have going forward. So it was getting real with those ex- expectations of myself and letting go of the guilt of the things that I had purchased and not used. That was the biggest transformation. And when we started getting rid of all of those extras, and I'm not a minimalist by any stretch, but what I realized once I got rid of all those extra things, I was naturally getting organized because it wasn't a lack of ability to get organized. It was just, I had too many things for the space that we have available. And so it's been super fun to see my family is benefiting in ways that I wouldn't have expected. It just, it, things feel more calm and they're easier to maintain, which gives you more time to try another hobby or spend more time just playing games as a family it really has made such an incredible difference. And so I'm kind of embracing the opportunity to use even even the Facebook group to be able to encourage other moms, because I think if people try it, it, they'll be amazed at the results. Can you see a difference in your ability to focus and think clearly? Because I know when I look around and the counters are cluttered, or the table is cluttered <laughs> and there's just stuff everywhere. I just, I, it just kind of is just this big mental block for me because there's so much stuff. Yeah, for sure. And it, it adds an underlying angst that I don't think we recognize until it's gone. I can even see it if I'm, you know, wrapped up in a project or have the opportunity to be away from home. And for whatever reason, things are not, I mean, Okay, let's be honest. How many of our families really keep things the way we hope they would in the kitchen when we're away? But if I come home, I can feel the difference in my stress level when those things are let go of for too long. And maybe it's a little bit of um, 
fear that I'll lose control of it again because for the level that I wanted it, it felt out of control before. You know, I was uh, afraid somebody would just pop in because it would be embarrassing. Now, I, I mean, I prefer a five minute warning, <laughs> but it's okay if somebody pops in. I can welcome them in. I can make a cup of coffee. They can sit at my counter. It's not that it's always the way I would like it to be, but it's not embarrassing. And that's a huge step. <laughs> no, that's a good point. I mean, I think I so often try, I have this ideal of how the house should look and heaven forbid somebody see it out of that ideal, but I have three boys. So I don't know if I've ever reached that ideal, <laughs> but oh my goodness. Yes. Just to, to be willing to share your space as it is and not... And, and not see that as the most important thing either, because, I mean, once you've decluttered, it sounds like you can just actually enjoy the reason for a visit without that on your mind either. Right, right. And, and I think part of it, too, is having grace for the season of life that we're in. So I do have a full care child. So I do all the things like the, you know, young moms are still doing with their little ones. But mine doesn't make a mess. So I have the luxury of saying to all the older kids in the house, hey, can everybody come and grab all their things and put them away? And it's done. But what I notice is they see their things. If I don't have general clutter as part of the natural aesthetic of the room, but it, if I don't keep things uncluttered, clutter breeds. It's like it magically multiplies and then People don't even see their own things. So you've been able to, this last year, focus on your home and you've still done some of your craft fairs and different things for selling the goods from the artisans in Liberia. Now, your name now is Mango Tree Boutique, but the last time we talked, you had a really cool name and and, and I'm cool with the name you have now too. Like, that's fine. (laughs) But can you can you share what the name used to be and what it means? Because I think that that was just really beautiful. Sure. So when I originally started it, I I named it Keely Kaizu Global Artisan Partnerships. Keely Kaizu is a word from actually both of my children are from the same county, so it's a word from their um, grandparents' villages, and it means hope. And it literally translates: my heart and mind believe that it can happen. And so the idea behind it was we were, you know, partnering with these artisans. I termed it Global Artisan Partnerships because I would love for someday this to be an option um, for artisans from other places as well. But we'll see where God leads. But Keely Kaizu was a meaningful word that kind of embodied what I wanted for uh, this business. Now, unfortunately, (laughs) it's very hard to pronounce when you see it in writing. It's hard to remember how it's spelled and it's got dashes in it, all of which make it a tough search online. And so when we were trans- transitioning and adding an online store, um, that became problematic. And so we wanted something that was a little easier to remember, easier to find. And so we went with the mango tree boutique because that's obvious. We It's a boutique. We sell things. And the mango tree, mango trees are all over Liberia. And it was one of the few names that wasn't already taken. <laughs> so it's not quite as meaningful as Gili Kaizu, but that's how we made that transition to the Mango Tree Boutique. But when you're able to actually speak to speak to those who are looking at the products, you can share 
more and kind of present the whole story though, even if it's not in the title. Right. And our tagline is no style with a story because each of our artisans has a unique story to share. And so when I get the opportunity to speak to different groups or to do these events, we can tell a little bit about their story. So each of our products comes with a tag that it was made by, you know, this person or this person and their team. And um, it just shares a little bit more, makes it a little more personal. And you can see, physically see the picture of the person that your purchase is helping. That's such a neat idea to put the face to the name and share their story. And I'm just glancing through some of these things again now. They're just so stunning. So much talent. And it's awesome that you're sharing it with the world and supporting them as you do. Such a great ministry. Now, when we were chatting before, before I hit record, you said something that I'd love for you to expound on. You said, where you are now is no indication of your future. This isn't all of it. Can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think sometimes as moms, we can get so focused on the season that we're in, especially if one of our children is in a particularly frustrating season. And, you know, there's plenty. I've got six kids. There's always somebody that's in some sort of less than fun stage. And I I think, well, two things. It's easy for us to look at that challenging behavior that we're dealing with and project it and think if my child is acting this way at six, then what is he going to be doing at 16? And so we project that that issue for now into later and, and let it build up bigger in our minds than perhaps it really is. But the other thing is we forget that there's a lot of life yet to come, a lot of experiences that we're going to have. So when I was in the days of homeschooling for kids, when I felt like that's all I could get done in a day and I couldn't keep up with my house and do a good day of schoolwork at the same time, it was so um, overwhelming some days But I've since learned that you don't know what the future is going to hold. Where you are right now is no indication of where you will be um, in the future. And so keeping that in mind is, I think, helpful. Right now, I love to travel now. I, I love to go to Liberia. I miss my friends. And we are so homebound that it's easy to get frustrated with that. But I think if we can use the time that we have where we are, and know that that's not an indication of where we'll be in the future, then when the future comes, if we've used that time well, we're prepared. Like If we use this time at home to simplify our homes and, and work on, on some of the routines that make life easier, then we have the time and the mental and emotional uh, capacity to be able to take on something, and, and it might be something really challenging and really hard But I'm telling you, I wish that I had known this before because I don't think life would have gotten as crazy if I had simplified before all my trips to Africa and all my involvement in um, the world of adoption. But you can't go back. But what I can do is share that with younger moms and try to encourage them because you don't know what the future holds and it might be really, really cool. Thank you so much to Michelle for her time. Our conversation actually went quite a bit longer than what we recorded here. I have a feeling we'll be hearing from her again on future episodes. 
I want to encourage you to check out the mangotreeboutique.com and the Prioritizing Home Facebook group. As always, the links for those are in the show notes.